Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, you can go to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6 is where we're going to be hanging out. Um, But before we go there, let me just say um, I have so um, appreciated um, all of the texts that you guys have sent me, all the phone calls, all the well wishes um, from the hard time that I'm having uh, since Thursday night already. Um, You guys have already, you know, shown how much you love me and how you've been there to minister to me and um, through this tough time. And you may be thinking, well, Noah, who died? Um, Well, I did because my Kentucky Wildcats lost to to a 15 seed. Uh, I wasn't even going to show my face here this morning, but then Tennessee lost yesterday, so I decided, ah, it'll be all right. Hey, let's pray, and then we'll jump in together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that you've done here already. I pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts. God, as we worship you through the listening and the preaching of your word, God, I pray that you would move me out of the way and you would preach. Lord, if if you don't preach, there will be no preaching done. So, God, you dismiss me and you preach what it is that you want us to hear. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Hey, uh, question. Um, Do any of you have road rage? You're Christians, so no, right? Um, I've learned a lot of things since coming to Gillettsville and being in the Sumner County, Davidson County area. But one of those things that I've learned is that y'all are terrible drivers. I mean, you know, I grew up in Springfield where, you know, there's there's not that much traffic. Um, but I got over here and it's like, oh, my gosh, I have to pray like the sinner's prayer every time I go out on a drive. Like, I just want to make sure I'm saved. You know what I mean? Because, like, gosh, all these drivers out here. Um, I can remember a time uh, not too long ago when I had road rage and it didn't turn out so well for me. Um, a lot of you know that uh, I came from Pleasant View First Baptist. And actually, you may not know. Um, when I first started at Pleasant View, I was just part-time. I started as a 19-year-old student pastor, as terrifying as that is. And so I, I was working two jobs at the same time. And I remember one time, uh, I believe it was on a Thursday, uh, I was at my secular job. And I was on my lunch break, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to go grab lunch, hang out, do what i got to do, um, and then I'm going to head back to work. And I had like an hour to do that in. And um, I remember I get down the road, I'm going to a restaurant, And a person cuts me off, just terribly cuts me off. And I think, okay, I'm going to pray for you, brother. Um, I'm not going to let this make me angry. I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm just going to move on. And then as soon as that thought left my mind and that prayer was sent to the heavens, another person cut me off. And I thought, okay, now I'm getting a little tense. Got, Got at the restaurant, got out, headed back. And lo and behold, a third person cuts me off in a matter of five minutes. And I think, okay, the Lord's either testing me here. I don't know what's going on. And I realized that the red light before um, I get back to my work, um, I realized I was in the wrong lane. You ever do that? You're in the wrong lane at the, like the last second and you got to turn. And I, I look in my rear view, uh, rear view mirror, though, and I realize there's a car approaching me. Now, the Christian thing to do right then would have been, I'm not going to cut this person off. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. So I'm not going to take it out on him. But in that split second, I thought, you know what, Noah? You've been cut off three times in the last 20 minutes. Just cut this guy off. You deserve it. You earned it. And I said, you know what, self, I'll do that. And so I I, I swing over to get back into the lane. And as soon as I swing over, I knew that I cut this guy off bad because I hear a tire skirt. Now, I got through the light that I need to get through, but there was only one issue. The guy cut off got through the light as well. (laughs) 
And now he's right beside me. You ever do that thing in traffic where you know it's your fault and you don't want to like make eye contact with the person? You ever do that? So, so I, I remember trying not to make eye contact and this guy's over here and he's going, Wah! I'm like, and then I look again, I say, oh my gosh, that's my pastor. And so I, I pull into work and I call my pastor after I gather myself and my resume because I thought I was going to be looking for a new job. And I call my pastor and say, hey, pastor, I, I think I just cut you off. <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, you cut me off. I almost died. And I was, oh, my gosh. Out of all the people that I could have cut off, it had to be my boss, my pastor, the person that I held in the highest of regards. Do you have a person like that in your life where... If you did something like that in front of them, it would really embarrass you because you think so highly of this person. Is that is that like a family member? Is that a pastor? Maybe it's Pastor Lyle and, you know, you guys, you know, don't want to embarrass yourself in front of him. Maybe it's a celebrity or maybe it's, you know, whoever you fill in the blank. If you were an Israelite, though, the person that you would have held in the highest regard would have been Moses. See, Moses was a big deal. Moses performed signs that would show the people that he was God's chosen man. And when we think about the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and many other things that Moses was a part of that would make anyone in that day follow him and believe that he was indeed the one sent from God to the people to lead them to the promised land. Now, in our text today, John says that it was the time where the Jewish people were celebrating Passover. You see, this is a time when all the people of Israel would reminisce on the time that God used a man named Moses to lead his people out of slavery from Egypt. But not only that, but before this, God sent prophets during the time of the exile to the people to tell them that there was going to be someone who would come who, like Moses, would rescue his people, but in a in a better way. And so it makes sense that at a time where the exodus was fresh on the people's minds, And there's word around town that there's this man who's performing signs. He's performing miracles. That a crowd would start to follow him to check him out and see what he's like. When looking at the sign of feeding the 5,000, which is the sign we're going to look at today, we will learn just as the people who were a part of this did, who saw the miracle firsthand, this is what we'll learn today. Ready? Lean in close. Jesus is the new and better Moses. One commentator says of this passage, the point of all this is that Jesus is the new and better Moses, the promised prophet, the hope for king. Jesus is the one who will bring to pass the prophesied new exodus and return from exile. Jesus will accomplish God's plan of salvation. Jesus will shepherd his people across the waters and through the wilderness, providing them with the bread of life. So let's jump in. John 6, beginning in verse 4, says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would still not be enough for each of them to get a little. So all of these people have gathered around to follow Jesus. And I wasn't planning on having these points here this morning. So I'll just throw these two in for free. I'm not even going to make you pay for them. But first, here's here's the first thing I learned from uh, these verses. Jesus would have made a great Baptist. Because these people are following him, they're gathering together, and Jesus says, hey, if we're all going to be together, we might as well eat something. Amen? 
And so he sees all these people start to gather together and he says, hey, um, let, let, let's eat. What are we going to do? And so he asks Philip, hey, where can we buy bread? Now, this would make sense that he would ask Philip, knowing the background, Philip was from a town pretty close by. And so if anybody would have known where the closest Walmart, the closest H.G. Hills, the closest place to buy bread was, it was going to be Philip. But that's not why Jesus asked Philip, which is where I'll throw in the second free point, and it's this. Jesus is a lot like females when it comes to asking questions. When he asks a question to you, it's not because he hopes you have information that he lacks. He does it to test you. Can all the married men give me an amen? He, so he does it to test Philip. And so he asked Philip, even though he knew what he was going to do with the problem. See, Jesus knew what he was going to do with the people's likely fears. They may have feared that they wouldn't get fed, but Jesus knew what he would do. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus knew what he was going to do with the people's likely fears, but he also knew what he was going to do with Philip's lacking faith. You see, Jesus knew that Philip could be a bit peculiar about this whole miracle and faith thing, as we see even later on in the Gospels. But Jesus would use this as an opportunity to show Philip who he was and what he was capable of. And so not only did Jesus know what he was going to do with the people's likely fears, not only did he know what he was going to do with Philip's lacking faith, but he knew what he was going to do with the little food. And even though all of this was stacked up against him, Jesus feeding the 5,000 shows us this. Here's our first point. There is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Let me say that one more time. There is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Friend, maybe you have a problem that you've been wrestling with what seems forever. Maybe it's a family issue, a marriage issue, a financial issue, or, or you fill in the blank. And I, I could be like one of these preachers, one of these motivational preachers, one of these hip guys who wears black skinny jeans with holes in the knees. And I could get up here and I could just say, hey, um, the power is, with, is within you. you. You can overcome anything. You can fix any problem if you just believe in yourself. And there's no problem too big for you to fix because you're awesome. And I could say all of that, but I would be lying to you. You see, there are problems, brothers and sisters, in all of our lives that are too big for me and you to fix by ourselves. But there is no problem too big for Jesus to fix. Reminds me of when the hymnist penned the words, He knows how hard the trials you face. He knows how much you need His grace. He foreknew all that happens here. He is your Lord why doubt or fear? Though many ridicule, oppose, friends, family, leave, misunderstand, all things about you Jesus knows, so be at peace. It's in his hand. Trust all your burdens to the Lord. Pour out to him your sighing too. His heart of love, your sorrow knows. He'll grant his grace. He'll see you through. There's no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Amen? Now our text goes on to say in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 or so in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. So Andrew spots a boy 
who has his lunch packed for the day. And in this lunch box, he has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, there's something interesting about John mentioning that it was barley bread here. You see, we know that barley bread was not exactly high-end bread. This wasn't name-brand bread. This wasn't the good stuff. This was the cheap stuff. In fact, this is the bread that was known throughout that time as the bread of the poor. And now on top of that, scholars have debated what kind of fish it was that this boy had. A lot of people think it was sardines. But, but others say, no, 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 it couldn't have been sardines. It had to be bigger than that. Whatever the case may be, if this little boy only was able to get the cheap bread, I doubt he's got caviar, right? So we know that he has cheap bread and, and, and cheap fish, but still Jesus chooses to use this boy. Now, Jesus could have done something different. Don't think that Jesus chose to do this because it was his only option. You see, he could, have made, he could have made bread rain down from the sky as he did back in the Old Testament, right? He could have turned the 200 denarii into 2,000 denarii so that they could buy enough for everyone. But Jesus chose to use a little lad with a little lunch. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense sometimes the choices that Jesus made for those who would follow him. If you want to talk about a ragtag bunch of crew, look at the disciples and their background. They weren't exactly the top on the religious board back in that day. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, it didn't make sense who he called. Um, now, as I've already mentioned, you guys know that I'm a, a diehard Kentucky fan, and you know I'm mourning right now. And it's amazing that the sun still came up Friday morning. I, I'll tell you that. I didn't think it would. Um, but to be honest with you, sometimes I wonder if maybe I give too much um, devotion to sports, if maybe that's an idol for me. And I started thinking, what if I got so excited, I got as excited about church as I did Kentucky basketball? Um, Kyle Eidelman speaks of this when he describes what it would look like if we treated church like we did sports. Listen to what he says. He says, see if you can imagine this one. People arrive hours early for church. Already funny, right? On Sunday mornings, they just don't set a backup alarm on their cell phones to assure they wake up in time. They set a backup for the backup. Throughout the week, they talk about what happened the previous Sunday as excitement builds for the upcoming church service. There are all-day radio talk shows devoted to reviewing last week's service and breaking down the next one. There's even a TV show called Church Center that runs highlight clips of church activities that have happened across the nation. When Sunday comes, the people load up their trucks, SUVs, and sedans hours before the service starts. Hurry, Dad says frantically. We're behind again. It's 6 a.m., Mom says. Church doesn't start for another five hours. Well, last time we left at this time, we had to park three miles from the sanctuary and sit in the nosebleed seats which you Baptists love doing. We had, to sit, we, had, we had to sit in the nosebleed seats. Someday I really want to sit in the front row. But you have to camp out on the church lawn to have any chance of that. The roads are really congested on the way to church, no matter how early you leave. At church, there are vehicles parked as far as the eye can see. Some members, this is really good, are tailgating, laying out elaborate spreads of barbecued meats on portable grills, Lawn chairs dot the church parking lot for miles. Some people have television monitors and satellite dishes so they, that they can catch up on other worship services as theirs begins. 
Even in the dead of winter, they'll be out here in the same numbers. And once the church doors open, the masses begin filling into the sanctuary, cheering with great compassion and excitement. As the service starts, the people are all on their feet, not as though they ever sit down. A bunch of young guys stand in the front row. None of them are wearing a shirt, but each one has a letter painted across his chest. Together they spell J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. After several hours of worship and an extra long sermon, people start looking at their watches. Everyone is thinking the same thing. I hope the service goes into overtime. (laughs) Now, when I think of ultimate fandom, I think of the NFL draft. You ever ever seen one? If if not, you, you will get to see, you know, the diversity of America in these fan bases if you just... Turn on the draft. Um, One of the most outstanding draft selections in the history of football came at a very unexpected time with a very unexpected person in the year 2000. The person representing the New England Patriots walks to the stage, takes a deep breath and says, with the 199th pick of the 2000 NFL draft, the New England Patriots select Tom Brady, quarterback from the University of Michigan. And then it cuts to all the fans and they all look at each other and they go, who? Not knowing that he would go on to be the greatest quarterback and possibly the greatest football player of all time. And it, thinking of that story got me thinking, what if there was a disciples draft? Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the first ever pick in the first ever disciples draft selects. Peter and his brother Andrew, fishermen from the city of Capernaum. And all the religious fans would look at each other at that moment and they'd go, Who? Why why don't you pick Caesar? Why don't you pick Socrates? Why don't you pick someone from Egypt or someone from Alexandria? What did you do? Or with the first pick to feed the 5,000, Jesus Christ of Nazareth selects a poor little boy with cheap bread. And some scraps. You know, you see how Jesus doesn't seem to choose the one who you would think he would? And you might be in here this morning and you, and you may think that God can't use you because you're too much this. Or you're not enough that. Well, friend, let me set something aside. Let me lay something before you. Lean in real close. Watch. God rarely calls the qualified, but he always qualifies the called. Not only does this sign show us that there's no problem too big for Jesus to solve, it also shows us secondly, here's our second point, there's no person too small for God to use. In the kingdom of God, the best ability is availability. So no matter what you've been through or who you are, God wants to use you for his glory. And church, let me tell you this, I've met a lot of people in my life who are too big in their own mind for God to use but never someone who was too small for God to use. We pick back up in our text in verse 12 when it says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now here's an interesting verse, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
And so not only were the people able to eat, but there was room for seconds if they wanted it. And the text says that when the people saw the sign, they put two and two together. They figured it out. They saw the Moses miracle and they said, this is indeed the prophet who the Old Testament prophets have spoken about. We have to make him king. We've been wandering around for so long. And now we can finally get someone who can take over Rome. We can finally have ourselves a political messiah. But you see, Jesus doesn't feed the 5,000 so that he can be made king. You see, when Jesus meets a physical need, he always does it so that he can then meet a spiritual one. And Jesus tells us the point of this when we jump over to verse 35 when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus doesn't want to show that he's the one who will help the people overthrow Rome. He doesn't want the people to make him their political king. Rather, Jesus wants to show the people and us through the text that there's not only no problem too big for him to solve, no person too small for him to use, but lastly, there's no hunger too deep that he can't satisfy. Now, I don't know about you all, but whenever I'm the least satisfied in life, it's usually when I'm looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Now, Jesus tells the people in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw, what? Signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, the people were wanting to satisfy their stomach. Jesus wanted to satisfy their soul. Now we like to talk about the people in the scriptures like they're so unlike us. If only we were there, we would have understood. If only we were the Israelites, we wouldn't have wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Yet we all run around expecting creation to satisfy us when creator is the only thing that can. Augustine put it this way when he said, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Now, I have a missionary friend who, um, when I get to speak to her, she tells me all these stories of what's going on and, and where she serves and to be honest, I don't know if you've ever heard some crazy missionary stories, but if you know a missionary or if there's a missionary here, find them after the service and say, hey, tell me an awesome missionary story. Um, I remember her telling me about all these ways of spiritual warfare that were taking place in where she was serving in, in this third world country. And she talked about whenever someone would come to know Christ, whenever someone would you know, start their path to discipleship and all of that, all these crazy things would happen. And, and, and she talked about like physical spiritual warfare and things even as far as like demon possession and, and all these things and me being you know sometime of a, some kind of a skeptic and being you know a little seminary nerd um i asked her one time i said okay I, I i hear you but how come that stuff doesn't happen over here i'm not saying i don't believe you but how come if that stuff happens how come we never see it over here and she threw back her head and she laughed and she said <laughs> Noah, the devil doesn't have to try that hard with us. We're so wrapped up in materialism. He's already got us in that. And I started thinking, <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. 
You see, money is great, and you should make money. Having a house is great. You should have a house. Having cars, clothes, the big jobs, success, popularity, influence, all these things are great, but they all have one thing in common. You know what it is? They make for terrible gods. See, friend, Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy the deep hunger that is within us. In closing today, Jesus feeding the 5,000 shows us that he's the new and greater Moses. And because of this, the crowd wanted to give him a crown of jewels to make him king. But we know that Jesus' path to king came about not with a crown of jewels, but by a crown of thorns and a cross to which he was crucified on. And so as, as we make our way to Easter, and as Julio comes up and the team comes up to lead us in an invitation, as we'll continue to see through the, the coming weeks, Jesus is on a journey to do and accomplish what he came for. And that was to be the propitiation for our sins, the atonement for our sins. You see, there's no problem too big that he can't solve. And this morning, maybe salvation is your biggest need. Maybe it's your biggest problem. Well, friend, Jesus can solve that problem. Maybe you're in here and you think, you know, God cannot use me. Well, friend, there's no person too small for him to use. If Jesus could use a poor boy with poor bread and poor fish, he can surely use you. Or maybe you're in here and you say... I just don't feel satisfied. I'm walking through this Christian life and, and, you know, it just seems like I'm going day by day and I'm just, I'm just going through the motions. Well, friend, Jesus wants to satisfy that hunger and he wants to do it by showing you that following him more deeply is what will make that hunger be filled. Spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time communing with him. Yes, it's important to be saved. And no, I don't believe that you have to make sure that you read your Bible every single day in order to be saved. But friend, union with Christ without communion with Christ equals joyless Christianity. And so maybe this morning you need to come and you need to pray and say, God, forgive me for not spending time with you. But now I want to do that. But if you're in here and you say, Noah, I've, I've never um, accepted what Jesus has done for me. I, I, I've never given my life to him. Well, you can do that this morning. Or maybe say, Noah, I, I need to be baptized. I've given my life to him, but I've never been baptized. You can do that today. Or maybe you say, Noah, I, I, I've done all of those things, but I feel like God is calling me to join this church. Here in a second as the music starts and we pray and we all stand together, I'll be up front. Pastor Lyle will be up front. If you meet any of those you know, ideas, if you need to make any of those decisions, please don't walk out these doors the same as you walked in. Come down and make this decision. But church, isn't it great that we have a new and better Moses? And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for... The fact that problems come and trials come, tribulations appear, but Lord, there's no problem too big for you to solve. Lord, we know that we're inadequate to do anything by ourselves, but we thank you that you use us anyways. And God, because you do that, I pray that we would find our rest in you and who you are.
Lord, if there's any decision that needs to be done today, don't let someone walk out the door without making that decision. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.